Psalm 86, a prayer of David. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Lord, we ask this morning, we pray. We echo that prayer. Bind our wandering hearts to thee. Lord, we feel it. We feel the pull. We feel that though we might want to be committed to you, that though we might want to give you our whole lives, Lord, there's so many things ripping at us and pulling at us in different directions. And so this morning we just come before you and we, we, we tell you, Lord, you are the fount. All good things, all the graces and the mercies are from you. And so we confess together this morning our need for you, God. We confess together that we're desperate for you. And so we ask as we open your word this morning that you would attend it with power, that you would come into the dry places of our soul and create fountains of living water. Lord, and in the places of our lives where we're in the desert, you would make rivers and streams. God, we know that we need you. And so please, Lord, by your mercy, come and meet us here today by the power of your word and the power of your spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we continue to worship now. Amen. All right, all right. Uh, there might be somebody here who's just having the best day uh, of your life or the best season of your life. Uh, maybe it's your birthday. Uh, maybe you just got a promotion at work. Maybe all the relationships in your life are just uh, healthy and thriving. But for the rest of us, uh, I would bet that we find ourselves somewhere between a mild frustration at 
the di- disappointments in our lives to absolute crisis mode by, by the fact that things are falling apart in our lives, that probably most of us here find ourselves somewhere in that spectrum between mildly frustrated and completely freaking out. Uh, if we just went down the list, you know, uh, job stuff, family stuff, health stuff, financial stuff, uh, or just the sheer amount of to-dos and expectations, I would bet that most of us in here would feel like we are in a season of trouble. So on the one hand, uh, none of us would invite trouble into our lives, right? We want stuff to work. Uh, we want people to be nice. We want our bodies to function correctly. Um, But on the other hand, we have to acknowledge two things. The first is this. Life is hard. Disappointments are going to come. And seasons of difficulty will enter our lives. And the second thing is this. Trouble can be what drives us to a fuller, more joyful, more grounded experience of life. In 2015, uh, 2015 Time Magazine article entitled, How Trauma Can Change You for the Better, author Jim Rendon explains the concept of what he calls post-traumatic growth. He says, in the 1980s, two psychologists at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, discovered that trauma was changing people in fundamental ways. Some of those changes were negative. But to their surprise, the majority of trauma survivors they interviewed reported that their lives had changed for the better. Survivors of all kinds, they contacted more than 600 people, said they had much greater inner strength than they ever thought. They were closer to friends and family members, that life had more meaning, or that they were reorienting their lives towards more fulfilling goals. In other words, legitimate trauma in our life does have the ability to crush us. But it also has the ability to open up a window of opportunity. That while maybe we might not invite trouble, and that while maybe the trauma itself isn't good, that if it reorients us, if it repositions us around better things then in the end, our life is actually better. Uh, Today I've divided the sermon into five points because we're going to see David do the same thing five times. Five times, back and forth and back and forth. David is going to start with the trouble in his life, but then he's going to move to the truth. And it's like he's in a wrestling match within his own heart. He's wrestling between the trouble that he's experiencing in his world and between the truth that he knows about the God that he believes in. See, when trouble comes into our lives, we all have these default modes of dealing with it. Right? Maybe it's a person you run to. Uh, maybe it's a substance that you're prone to abuse. Uh, maybe it's just some other outlet that, that you run to to try to, to, try to um, figure out the problem. But what we're going to see in Psalm 86 today through, through David is that there is a better way. That running to those other solutions, we can try and we can try and we can try and we're just going to get stuck further and deeper But there is a God who is an all-sufficient Savior. And David is is running to that God, and he's going to lead us to that God as well. Now, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 86. You've already heard the psalm read this morning uh, beautifully. This is God's word to us today, but I would love for you to have it there in front of you. So if you do have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn 
to Psalm 86. And we've entitled this whole series, this, this short little series that we're doing, Cry Out to God. And this morning, David is, is teaching us who this God is that we cry out to. So we're going to see five things, five reasons that we should be persuaded to seek God, to pursue God when we find ourselves in trouble. And so the first is this, seek the God who is good. Seek the God who is good. So we'll start with the trouble and then we'll look at the truth. Uh, Verses 1 to 4, let's read verses 1 to 4 again. David cries out, he says, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. So David has been brought to the end of himself. And we have to understand, guys, like this is a guy who had no needs in his life. Like everything that he wanted. He was a king and he had everything he could have imagined. And so when he says in this psalm that he is poor and needy, he's not talking about financial poverty. David is saying that he is poor in soul. There's something that he needs that only God can give. Um, Neediness does not have a positive connotation in our culture today. right? Uh, A needy person. Uh, is someone who uh, nags other people, someone who always is expecting someone else to meet their needs right now uh, without looking to the left or to the right. I want you to picture in your mind who the most needy person is that you know. Does that person get on your nerves? Maybe so. But here is, uh, here's what Dave is teaching us. When spiritual neediness drives us to find all of our life and all of our strength and all of our support in God, the neediness is actually a good thing. And the reason that David is seeking God in the midst of his trouble is found in the truth of verse 5. This is the truth that, that drives David towards God. He says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. The first reason that David states for running towards God in his trouble is that God is good. And this is very important for a number of reasons. First, the goodness of God means that when, he runs, when David runs to God, that he'll receive good treatment. Uh, think about in your life. Like when you run to somebody for help, when you run into their life and you ask for help, You're expecting, the reason you run to that person is because you're expecting that they will be willing to help you. That's why you choose that person to go to. Um, Another thing is this. David knows that the goodness of God means that the only way he's going to have a positive outcome, a good outcome in the midst of his trouble, is if it flows from the heart of God. Again, think about when you run to somebody in your life for help. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's great to have a friend who's willing to help you, but it's really great to have a friend who can actually help you, who has the resources to help you. Uh, and so David's running to God because God not only would be willing to, be, to give David good things, but God actually has good things to give. But I think most importantly, David knows that the goodness of God means that ultimately his poverty of soul, his neediness that can't be met by anything else in this world, must be met by a good God who himself is ultimate good. In Psalm 16, 
another psalm of David. This is what David says about, about the Lord. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. There is no ultimate good apart from God. If, if we have everything in the world, if you had all your earthly needs met, if you, if you had everything that you thought your heart desired, but you didn't have God, then you wouldn't have good. So David was running to God in the midst of his trouble because God is good, but many times you and I run other places for our good. As I mentioned earlier, sometimes we run to people who have resources. A lot of times now, I mean, let's just be really honest, we just get on Google and we you know, search it. Uh, if you're anything like me, Maybe you just run to your own brain. You just run to your own head and you just think and you think and you think until you're anxious and you're stressed and you can feel it in your body that you have been trying so hard to figure out the situation because you just ran into your own brain. But here's the key. If we run somewhere else instead of to God, then we actually miss what God is trying to do through our trouble. So what if we began to reinterpret our trouble? What if we actually started to see neediness as a good thing? That if our neediness drove us to the God who's ultimately good, then it would actually be good for us to be in a dependent place like that. So we seek God in the midst of our trouble first because He is the God who is good. The next thing that David brings up is is not so much an attribute of God, but it's the fact that God Himself is God. And so second... Seek the God who is God. Seek the God who is God. Uh, We're going to go back to the trouble, and then we'll look at the truth. Verses 6 and 7 say, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. Uh, Maybe you've known somebody who uh, was just going through a difficult season, or maybe you know somebody who's just going through a difficult season. It just feels like one thing after another. It's like, it's like Murphy's Law in their life. Like if it can go bad, it is going bad. And apparently that is where David found himself. Like this wasn't just like a, like a, a little momentary hiccup. Like this was a season. This was a, a day, a, a, a place that he found himself in the midst of trouble and in the midst of difficulty. Mark Sayers in his book, Reappearing Church, writes this. He says, the concept of transition is essential to understanding renewal. Such transition tends to unfreeze our lives and makes change possible. Individuals in the midst of a life transition are thus more open to the gospel. An individual may experience a period of wilderness and isolation, crying out to God who then comes to them in their pain. This person gains spiritual depth, being renewed, becoming an influencer for God. And then this was the sentence that stuck out to me the most about, about, this, about this quote. He says, Crises and the transitions that they bring are one of the critical ways that God uses to move us. In David's crisis, he is being driven towards God by the trouble in his life. And so what if this season of trouble that we've all found ourselves in is leading us towards a season of renewal? What if not having all the typical comforts and enjoyments that we usually have is teaching us to be hungry for God? 
What if God is actually using the trouble that we're all experiencing to unfreeze people who have been stuck in their affluence and in their security so that they might actually be led to a saving faith in Jesus Christ? What if all the things that we thought gave us life and thought gave us hope have now been stripped away so that we can realize that it's truly God that we need. The reason that David is seeking God in the midst of his trouble is found in the truth of verses 8 to 10. He declares boldly, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. David's calling out to God in the season of his difficulty because there's only one true God. And by David doing this for us, he's actually teaching us something very important. What we run to in the midst of our trouble, that is our functional God. When we're in crisis, when we're in trouble, whatever we run towards in that moment, that is the true God in our life, in our heart. If you want to know, if we want to know what our real functional God is, all you have to do is take verse 7 and fill in the blank. Verse 7 says, In the day of my trouble I call upon... What goes in the blank? Whose name? What thing? What idea? Whatever goes in that blank, that is our functional God. And David is running towards God because he knows there's only one true God. And God, the God who he is sold out to, is the crowning joy of his best times and is his safe refuge in the difficult and dark times. The way David is responding here in Psalm 86 kind of reminds, reminds me of how the Apostle Peter responded to Jesus. Jesus, in John chapter 6, had been preaching a really, really, really difficult sermon. And this is what happens. I want to read to you verses 66 to 69. So Jesus has just preached this really, really tough sermon. And it says, After this, many of his disciples... Talking about Jesus' disciples. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we've believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It's like Peter saying, Hey, this was difficult to hear, but like, is there a better option? And David is saying the same thing. He's like, hey, yeah, maybe my life's falling apart. Maybe everything's crashing around me. But like, is there a better place to go than to God? Like, who has done what he's done? Who can do what he can do? Like, why would I go anywhere else? So maybe you're here today and, and you're not sure about God. Maybe you've heard about this Jesus stuff a little bit, but you're just not really sure if you, if you want to you commit or not. Uh, let me just ask you this. Have the things that you've turned to in your trouble actually given you life or have they taken life from you? 
Would you say that you're actually happier and healthier because you ran to those things instead of God? As long as we settle for attempting to put non-God things in the place of God, we'll continue to be disappointed. And again, maybe, maybe, just maybe, God is using this season of trouble in all of our lives to unfreeze us and to wake us up to the opportunity we have to run towards a good God who alone is God. We were made for Him. So, why do we seek God in the midst of trouble? Because He alone is God. Show me a better option. But now we're going to move to the most vulnerable section of the psalm. And so third, seek the God who is love. Seek the God who is love. See, uh, whenever we go through troubles, yeah, there's normally a bit of it that's external, right? There's something going on outside that's affecting us. But when we experience that external trouble, it triggers something deeper within us. We usually find out and we realize that there is actually trouble going on inside of us as well. And that's what... Uh, that's where David goes in verses 11 and 12. He says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. What David confesses before God is a divided heart. And I think this is a really honest thing to, to say. Um, David wants, he wants to be all in with the Lord. He, you can see in verse 12, like he, he wants everything to belong to God. He wants his whole life to glorify God. And yet, he feels within himself this division. He feels within himself this complication. He feels within himself going in two different directions. So what is a divided heart? We can think about it like this. A divided heart is a heart that has streams going in different directions. Right? You can be divided in your attention, you can be di- divided in your energy, divided in your obedience, and apparently you can be divided in your heart. Um, for just a second, I, w- I want you to imagine your heart like a budget. Uh, it's kind of a weird thing to do, uh, but just go with it. Um, what, do you, what do you do when you make a budget? Well, you say, hey, you know, we got this certain amount of resources, and you know, my goal here is to you know, divvy up those resources to make sure they, they go to the right places. And so you got these different categories, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to make sure that, you know, based on the resources you have, that the correct amount of percentages go to the right categories. But here's the problem. Sometimes our categories compete with one another. You know, I want to buy this, and I want to buy that, but I don't have money to buy this and to buy that. So what do I do? I'm stuck. I feel divided. And David is saying, that's what's going on inside of my heart. Like, I kind of want to go this way, but somehow I end up over here. Like I have this desire to serve God with my whole life, but it's like all of a sudden I just keep finding myself over here. Like there's division within me. There's conflict within me. I have conflicting desires. I mean, it's like, guys, it's going to happen again. I promise. In January, we're all going to have all these, you know, excitements about what we're going to do next year. We're going to have these goals. We're going to have these resolutions. And we're going to, you know, think, man, at the end of the year, I'm going to be here. And then by March, we're going to be here. Why is that? Because we're confused. We think we know what we want. And yet we end up going in a different direction. 
And that's why David runs to God praying, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. It's like we sang in the, in the song, Come Thou Fountain this morning. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. It's like the, the, the problem is inside of me, but the solution is, is outside of me. And that's why David moves from verses 11 and 12 into verse 13, again from the trouble back to the truth. He says, For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. David, feeling his divided heart, his splintered heart, seeks the God who is singularly steadfast. David, feeling the division of himself, the conflict within himself, seeks the God in whom there is no shadow of turning. There is no conflict. There is no division. Uh, Maybe you know the difference between a renewable resource and a non-renewable resource. Uh, A non-renewable resource is a resource that uh, when you use it, it depletes because it can't be replenished fast enough to make up for what you're using. But a renewable resource is a resource that it can, it can make up fast enough what you're using for it so that it replenishes at a higher rate than you're consuming it. Well, one of the questions we have to ask this morning is this. Is God's love depletable? Could God's love diminish? As David is feeling his own divided heart, as he feels his faithlessness, The truth that he turns to is God's faithfulness, God's steadfast love. We have to ask three questions. When did God start loving us? What caused God to love us? And how has God proved his love to us? So the first question. When did God start loving us? Answer, in eternity. See, if I think that you know, God started loving me when, then I could also think that God might stop loving me when. But God's steadfast love means didn't have a beginning. And what caused God's love? His own good pleasure. If God's love was dependent on our faithfulness or our loveliness, who could God love? Right? We love God because He first loved us, not the other way around. God doesn't love us because we came around and started loving Him. No, 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 no. God's love for us is caused by His Desire. He wants to. And then the third question. How has he proved his love to us? God has proved his love to us by forgiving us of our sins, by sending his own dear son to die on the cross for sinners. See, here's what can happen. We start to think, that the trouble in our lives might mean that God doesn't love us. 
Like we start to think that maybe the bad stuff are actually like signs or proofs that, that God doesn't love us. But in reality, God wants us to experience the exact opposite. Not only does trouble not mean that he doesn't love us, it is in the moment of trouble where we realize that his love is the steadfast anchor that we can count on. It is precisely when life is crashing, when life is falling apart, that we realize that God's love isn't dependent on anything going on outside of us, and it's not even dependent on anything going on inside of us. When we are faithless, he's faithful. When we're divided, he's committed. When we're splintered, he's devoted. That's our God. So the greatest trouble in our lives might actually be inside of us. We live in division. We live in conflict. We we live in confusion. So what's our only hope? Our only hope is that God is abounding in steadfast love. So we seek God in our internal trouble because he's the God who is love. But now we are going to turn. Finally, 14 verses in, we are going to see what the external pressure was. What was causing David to run to God uh, externally. And so forth, seek the God who is gracious. Seek the God who is gracious. Again, first the trouble, then the truth. Verse 14 gives us, this is the real details. This is what was going on that was driving David towards God. He says, O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life, and they do not set you before them. So uh, this was not just a stub toe. This was not just a paper cut. Uh, This was not gas prices going up. Uh, This was a threat of murder hanging over David's head. This was serious trouble. See, sometimes the suffering in our lives is just basically normal life needs. It's illness, it's disaster, it's poverty. Uh, Sometimes the trouble in our lives is within ourselves. Like it's our own anxiety, it's our own worry, it's our own joylessness. It's the fact that we're confused and divided within ourselves. But a lot of times, like most of the time, the trouble in our lives is caused by other people. When other people sin against us. And by the way, guess what? We also sin against other people, which should give us a posture of of humility as we talk about this. And so trouble comes from someone else in our lives. And here's the temptation. When trouble comes from some, someone else, the temptation is to respond in kind. And it creates this nasty cycle. Right? Someone brings trouble into our lives, and so we respond with trouble, and trouble meets trouble, and it's just, it's a nasty cycle. It gets ugly. And I think that's why it's so beautiful that in this psalm, instead of David sinning in response to being sinned against, he seeks the Lord. In verse 15, this is what it says. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So instead of responding with toxic aggression, Instead of being defensive and, you know, puffing his chest out. No, David runs to the God who is merciful and gracious. And it's not an accident that he puts those specific truths before him as he is being sinned against. Because there's no one who understands better how to deal with being sinned against than God. 
No one has been sinned against more than him. And so David looks to God to learn how to deal with hostility, how to deal with enemies. And what does he find? He finds a God who's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Uh, Maybe you've heard the story of C.S. Lewis stumbling in a room and, and finding people who have been disputing for a while about different religions. And basically what they had come to is that all religions are essentially the same. Uh, now, whether this story is true or not, I'm not sure, but it's a good story, so we're going we're gonna to use it. Um, so he, he stumbles in, and, and he's put on the spot. He's asked to defend what is different about Christianity. What is unique among all the religions of the world? What makes Christianity different? And Lewis walked up to the chalkboard, and he wrote one word on the board. He wrote, grace. Now, why did he do that? What is it about grace that makes Christianity unique? Well, the reason that Lewis wrote grace on the board is because in Christianity, salvation doesn't actually go to the good person. God's help isn't extended to the person who tries the hardest to keep their act together. Let that sink in. Like maybe you came here this morning and you thought that's what Christianity was. You thought Christianity is about all of us trying to be better people. What Christianity is, is God going to the lengths of sending his own son to live and to die and to rise from the dead so that he could give good things to bad people. And God doesn't wait for bad people to kind of start doing good things before he gives them good things. Salvation is God interrupting us in our deadness and in our badness and in sometimes our self-righteousness with the wonderful gift of his son Jesus Christ. That is Christianity. That's what is different. That's why Christianity is true. Grace. And so when we're in trouble, and especially when the trouble is coming from other people, the most important thing to have before us is the remembrance that the God we've trusted in, the God we believe in, the God that we love, is a God who is merciful and gracious slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The gospel gives us both the power and the pattern for responding to being sinned against as we marinate in the truth that God is slow to anger. We can become less pushy, less aggressive, less defensive. As we start to really embrace how merciful and how gracious He is, we can become more wise in how we deal with conflict. And I don't know about you guys, but hey, we need this. (laughs) Like we're really bad at dealing with conflict. So we need to marinate. It's like he's saying, like like, like what, what was their problem in verse 14? The people that were sinning against David, it says they do not set you before them. And so David could have just, he could have just returned the favor. God, ah, who needs him? I'm going to just, I'm going to get what's mine right now. 
No. He sinned against. And what does he do? He puts God before his face. He puts God in his heart so he can respond differently. We have so much trouble in our world, and it comes sometimes as people against us, sometimes us against people. We need to see who God is and how he's treated us so that we can learn how to respond in better wisdom. We turn now to the final reason that we should seek God in our trouble. The final reason, we seek the God who is compassionate. Seek the God who is compassionate. Uh, We've covered a lot of trouble in this psalm, like a lot of different things, a lot of different ways that trouble comes into our lives. But I think that David unpacks this one last thing for us, one last bit of trouble, so that he can sort of turn, turn our attention to one last piece of truth. I'm going to read verses 16 and then the first half of verse 17. He says, Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame. Here at the end of the psalm, we're brought face to face with, with, I think, a reality that we all know to be true. Troubled seasons create weary people. When we're in the midst of trouble, it just, it just wears us out. We're just tired. I mean, I don't, do you guys feel that? I feel it. I'm like, man, can this just be over? It's just, ah, uh, one more thing. And that's why David's asking for two things. He's asking for strength. That makes sense. You're tired, you're weary, you're fatigued. You need strength, so you, you ask God for it. But it's the second thing that he asked for that, that kind of caught me by surprise this week. He not only asks for strength, but he asks for a sign. And I think this, this, this request for a sign can maybe go in a, a couple different ways. But, but let me just read, read it to you one more time so you can see that David isn't just being selfish by asking for a sign here. Um, He has something bigger in mind. He says, show me a sign of your favor. In other words, God, do something miraculous. Like, show me that you're real. Show up in my life so that I can see that you're powerful. But why? That those who hate me may see and be put to shame. In other words, David is casting all of his strategy for his missional enterprise, his attempt To reach these people, he's casting all of his strategy on God. Like, what do you do when, like, you've tried everything? You've tried the smoke machines. You know, you've tried, like, the awesome, like, laser shows. Like, you've tried to be, like, cool. Like, oh, come on. Like, you could see that we're right because, like, like, we're Christians. Like, we're so cool, man. Like, this is awesome. Like, what do you do when that doesn't work? You ask God to get involved. To show that it's actually him. That like it's his power. Some of you may be familiar with this, this man named John Stott. Uh, he's been an extremely influential figure uh, in the West, the Western Christ, Christian church through the 20th and 21st century. And I recently read a story about him. And for me, it just it kind of struck me in a unique way uh, just because I am somebody that, that does speak in public. I'm somebody that preaches, and that's what John Stott did as well. He was a preacher. And this story was, was about an experience he had uh, preaching. And so it really, really stuck out to me. But I want to read it to you. This is author Tim Chester. He writes, While Stott was on a visit in Australia, his father died. The family agreed beforehand that should this happen, 
Stott should continue to fulfill his responsibilities. The funeral took place in his absence, but a memorial service was delayed until his return. It was a difficult time. Stott's voice was failing, and his thoughts were back in Britain. Before the final meeting in Sydney, he asked the mission committee to pray that God's power would be made perfect in weakness. In the years that followed, he often had people tell him that they were converted on the night he lost his voice. Now, I can tell you as somebody that, you know, pretty often speaks in front of people, that two of the most, uh, the biggest personal distractions to teaching or preaching or speaking in front of, front of people is grief and losing my voice. Like, those are the two biggest distractions in my life. And so maybe, just maybe, the reason that God moved in power on that particular night was because it would be evident that it was by the power of God that those people were saved and not the power of John Stott. What if our season of trouble is wearing us down to the point where God could actually use us? What if the fatigue that we're kind of all collectively experiencing is the window of opportunity for God's strength? What if this like frustrating time of just feeling like we're broken and feeling like we're de- whittled down to nothing is just a primer for God to teach the American church that the best missional strategy is for us to get out of the way and let Jesus have center stage again? The reason that being weary drove David towards God was found in the last half of the verse, the last half of the verse of the psalm. It says, because you, Lord, have helped and comforted me. You know, even the best of human compassion is limited by resources. I don't know if you feel this way. Like sometimes like the best I have to offer somebody is just like feelings. Like I, I, I'll think about you. I, I, I try to connect, you know, whatever. But God's compassion is not like the compassion of man. God is not limited by our resources. See, God not only cares most, but God has the most resources to leverage in our direction. And so David runs to God because he knows that God cares and he knows God can help. So here's the deal. What if we aren't seeing God's strength more because we're still too strong? What if we aren't seeing miraculous signs from heaven, signs of favor, blessing the mission, because we've idolized power and self-engineered might? When we are weakest, God is strongest. So maybe, it, maybe in the season of weariness and fatigue and frustration, when we think it's like falling apart, it's like God's like, man, they're like almost ready. So you might be here today and you're just like having the best day of your life and you're like, man, like why did I come to church today? Like I was feeling good and now I'm depressed. Um, but for the rest of us, 
this has been a season of trouble. We probably find ourselves in a difficult time. And we all have those default modes. Like we all have those default ruts. We just run to the wrong things. We just think that like it's that person or it's that entertainment or it's that substance or it's that whatever that's going to kind of like help me get to feeling better again. And I pray that as David has opened up his heart to us and opened up his experience with God to us this morning, that the word of God is leading us not to go back to those default modes, not to run back to what this world can offer, but to fall in our faces and say, God, we need you. It's you we seek. Show us your grace. Give us your strength. You are a God who's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Lord, in this season of trouble, we're coming after you. That's my prayer for us today. So we're going to pray. And then you're going to have a few minutes. And I just want to say this. You know, we take a few minutes you know, at the end of the service for you to submit prayer requests. But if you don't have a prayer request to submit, like that's okay. Um, you could just like pray for two minutes. Uh, like it's really nice to just have like, like a few minutes of just. So uh, I would just encourage you to enjoy that if you don't have a prayer request to submit. And then we're going to sing, praise God, and it's going to be awesome. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to move into a time of of prayer. Lord, if, if you would be so kind to continue to strip us down, of ourself to strip us down of our strength to strip us down of our self-sufficiency where we might it might hurt we might be a little frustrated we might struggle through it but in the end Lord we would be happy we'd be thankful and so even in our own confusion and division and self-conflict where parts of us just wants to be happy and comfortable and do whatever it takes to stay there and then the other parts of us wants you no matter what the cost Lord this morning we just give you our hearts and just ask you lead us to that place lead us to the place where we seek you and love you and want you and hunger you more than anything God we can't do it so we need your strength we ask for a sign We ask for you to pour out your power among us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.